I know, I have a mustache. My name is Matthew Kroll. And if I wasn't rich, perhaps I would have been a great man. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Citizen Kane. Have C- we come th- to this point? Time has definitely looped in on itself, and we are back to 1941, which is a strange time. It's, it's, uh, I tell you what, it's not a great place to be Indian in New York City, but you know, whatever. No, uh, and, and I don't think, I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to <laughs> do this just with you. Well, of course not, because you, I mean, I'd be hiding in a closet somewhere, which is what I'm actually doing, but you know, whatever. Well, that's the, no different than the, whatever. No, I, we need more, we need more for this. This is too big and too important to the history of cinema. This is definitely the Citizen Kane of this podcast, at least. Of Citizen and perhaps, Kane, of the only podcasts yes. about Citizen Kane. But also, perhaps, the Citizen Kane of the Uberbusters podcast, who are, we are thrilled to be joined by Liam and George from the Uberbusters podcast. How are you, gentlemen? Hello, boys. Gentlemen, what's going on? Hello. This feels monumentous, because it's the first time I've ever been on this podcast this is true we've we've done pretty much every combination where i've been on your podcast matt's been on your podcast yes george has been on our podcast the person that we've always tried to avoid we've we've finally not been able to avoid any longer he snuck himself in i feel like a month ago to was like hey everybody who's been on the pat podcast he included me in that and i was like are you trolling me buddy <laughs> liam's a think... huge get he's not easy to get on a podcast no my third guest appearance in a week whoa, whoa. granted where, where... they were on podcasts i host by myself <laughs> oh. the Le- liam no, i'm joking but no i mean i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be here you guys finally I... You guys uh, are in your third season of Uberbusters, I believe. Fourth, right God oh, it's a fourth. damn it, okay. Shahir. I mean, look, what we're really establishing here is I don't really care. Um, but... <laughs> Jeez, oh, we're coming in hot. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not really keeping mutual. track either, Shahir, so don't worry about it. But you guys Marshall's are doing uh, Tashira Mifune and Akira Kurosawa this season. Is that right? In the Uberbusters podcast? How, like, I got to admit. I, I'm obviously aware, and, and one thing that I'm very thankful for is the thirsty uh, Mifune gifts that you guys are posting every mm-hmm. week on Twitter. Very thirsty. I was, like, I was like, every time I see Mifune, I'm like, man, so that is quite such, a, such an yeah. attractive man. Quite a snap. <laughs> As the kids man. are... I was just going to say, you, you, you too, like me, George, are a fellow young person, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for thinking that I'm young. But yeah, What's up, yeah. kids? What's up, fellow kids? <laughs> yeah. How's your homework? That, yeah, we're walking down the halls of a high school in 2020. You know, they're vacant. No one should be there. But we're holding our, our skateboards over our shoulders, and our hats are backwards, and we look like Steve Buscemi. And we have gray in our beards. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally fitting in, for sure. You guys look great. How? Look uh, great. Well, bring it back to Mifune and Kurosawa. How, like, tell me what was the impetus to do that? I mean, you've done um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I believe. You've done Cassavetes. What, where, who am I missing if this is your fourth season? We did Batman. Ah, Batman. And Batman. I forgot about you the know, old in fairness, Bruce Wayne Batman. In fairness, probably better if you don't remember it. I wasn't probably. a guest on the Batman. That's true. You were, <laughs> you were a Phil Hoffman guy. <laughs> Matt was. Um, yeah. Yeah. What was the impetus? You know, part of it was that Mifune turned a, would have turned 100 this year. And so ah. he was making oh, the rounds cool. in... Um, on ver- on a couple I listened to the big picture and they talked about him and it made me go like shit I need to for me I've watched most of these movies every year since I turned like not every year but at once a decade I watched basically every Kurosawa movie so starting when I was like 15 I started watching them in my 20s I saw you know more of the ones that you don't when you're when you're like 15 you probably watch Seven Samurai Yojimbo yeah. 
like the classic classics and then in your 20s you do like what i would consider the like 300 levels so you're watching like great dog high and low yeah and then now you know in the 30s it's like we're watching all 16 and also watching films that mifune is not in just as a supplement so i feel like by the time we're done we're gonna have watched george don't you think we're gonna have nearly watched everything i think we're gonna have watched 26 films well, every you mean everything? What that like? Kurosawa? Nearly every Kurosawa movie. I feel like right. we're basically gonna or get a shit ton. Yeah, and yeah, we have seen a couple, and we have talked about a couple that are not. Um... Akiru, for example. You right. haven't done Akiru, Ron, or you? We, we have did do it. If we dropped it, uh, this well, I guess if this comes out Sunday, we'll have dropped it this week. We dropped it today. I think uh, Akiru is the one time travel. Yeah, yeah, Akiru is the one Kurosawa film. Like most of them, I'm like, I will watch these eventually. But Akira is the one where I, I go, I think I need to watch that immediately because that's the one I think will hit me right in the feels. Mm. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, a, great it's one. a feeler. Yeah, it's yeah, a sure. feeler. It's a feeler. And we also do, we've also done, um, we also did that one Mifune film before, right? Um, Snow Trail, is it? I forget. God, we did it feels Snow like Trail, like... which was was not, was directed by um, Ten, Ten Ichi's, um, Sengoku, who's a different Japanese director. And we also did No Regrets for Our Youth, which is... Um, stars the wonderful Satsuko Hara, who okay. um, appeared in a lot of Ozu films. So yes, it was fun to visit another black and white film that's a million years old for your <laughs> podcast. It was <laughs> good to go back to art house films too after watching just a shit ton of superhero of films. Shitty Batman movies. Some <laughs> shitty Batman movies. 50-50% shitty, shitty Batman, Batman movies. I mean, yeah, but when like... there's like 30 Batman films, that's a lot. There's a lot of, that's Batman a lot of bad films. A lot of bad, bad films. Batman. <laughs> No, so we were glad that you guys could join us to do Citizen Kane. And obviously the reason that Citizen has come up in the conversation for us is that David Fincher's Mank is coming out or has been released this week in theaters, but we're not going to go see it in theaters because all of us are kind of, you know, I think for safe to say uh, we're all in our apartments right now. Uh, some of us, I even thought about wearing a mask just out of courtesy. Uh, even though recording remotely. Wait, you're, um, that's not a mask. That's just your beard. <laughs> no, just, that's just your beard. I have a mask made out of facial hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it's survival to... Shahir is the best. I love survival <laughs> mode Shahir. It you just rules. don't want to see me from the waist down because I'm just pretty much wearing boxes right now. It's Boxes and flip-flops has pretty much been my MO for the last six months. I get it. Um, Who wouldn't want to go into movie theater by the way and say like, "Can I get like COVID with my popcorn, please?" <laughs> yeah. Or... Well, yeah, I think George, you mentioned this before. Getting COVID for Mank is the most hardcore cinephile thing you could do, right? Other like... other than getting COVID to see Tenet. <laughs> well, COVID for Tenet, I think, is kind of like that's COVID. the mainstream. That's like everyone's gonna go do that at some point. But COVID for Mank, that's like that's dedication. <laughs> I went to this the drive-in to see Tenet by myself. Well, I... no, that's not true. My friend Tony came, but we sat in separate cars. <laughs> Of course you sat in separate Tony cars. Tony was there, though. Yeah, yeah. not monsters. He was there. We were on separate screens. He was like 150 feet in the other direction. Right? That's so funny. I have weird. yet to be in a dri- go to a drive-in um, I know, me too. At, during all this, and I love drive-ins so much. Well, um, I've, I've been to a drive-in, but I took my son to a drive-in, so it was an experience. And we saw The Wizard of Oz um, at a drive-in movie, which was great, but it's it's... It's odd because you basically you're at the movies, but you're in your own. You're in like a little apartment in the movies, and like so good. It's so nice. I I think I would enjoy it on my own. Like I would enjoy it on my own. And again, this is pre-COVID times. My favorite thing was like my my buddy in high school who had a pickup truck. We just throw every comfortable thing we possibly could in the back of it, and we just go to the drive-in with like ten people. Right. You pile into this thing and you just sort of sit in the back and you have the speakers blaring out the side. Like, that's my drive-in. I know, of course, now that's not the way we do it. But, like, 
uh, I don't know. I just I, I miss doing it, and I haven't had a chance to go yet because I a don't really know of one in the local Queens area that would work out, and b I sold my car. So yeah, not <laughs> well, really working. Well, to out. answer your first question, there is a Queens driving, and the New York Film Festival was actually holding a lot of screenings there, and they still they still are. Um, so I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there is a retrospective of, of Wong Kar Wai that Ooh. has been done by the Lincoln Center, and I think they will have screenings at the Queen's Drive-In. So you could see In the Mood for Love or Days of Being Wild, uh, you know, on a projected screen. But I still nice. don't have a car. Well, you know, I mean, you rent maybe one. you could walk in. I could, George, you know what? I'll get George has a car. car right George is in Astoria. So just, I, would, you, like, I would lend you my George. car, yeah. I will be in Astoria oh, nice. soon. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um. The one silver lining of COVID for cinephiles was that the New York Film Festival was all virtual, so yes. I could sit yeah. in my house in Los Angeles and watch like impenetrable four-hour Romanian movies and be Except like, "Except oh. for the fact that they still had uh, uh, only a set number of uh, of screeners that they would sell." That's so true. I-, I wanted to go to a screening of um, uh, Steve McQueen's film. Man, I think it was called Mangrove. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, the name of the film. And and it was like it was sold out. Or I wanted to do Chloe Zhao's film Nomadland, and it was like it's sold out. I was like, why is it sold out? Like that yeah, is stupid. <laughs> well, is there is stupid. a reason for that because the film doesn't have distribution yet, so they are still trying to sell the movie. So in order to sell it, mm. they can only say it's only being seen by a certain number of people. If if the film had like if 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 four hundred thousand people logged into the New York Film Festival and watched Oops. the movie, a distributor might be scared away from like actually picking it up Which actually is, true yeah. i mean you know the key is then to watch the system the four is hour... stupid yeah <laughs> the system's like, stupid and, and are there like four hundred thousand people signing in to watch an obscure four-hour romanian my film? favorite my favorite story from the new york film festival is george and i's friend paul rented the the 20th anniversary restoration of damnation and which is an immaculately beautiful movie and there was a watermark I on know. the screen oh, the entire you. time <laughs> also also here's the thing and i don't know if they did it this way but like just make the stream available for 2 hours they did they did that's so what they they, do. they're not yeah. going to get 400,000 fuck yeah. them no it's still that's well, dumb. that's actually not true cuz the one that i rented i had for 4 4 days Right, but there but, are certain movies that I mean, because the film festival is not a, um, a, a distributed screening. It's it's a it's a private screening essentially, uh, and so but it's it, COVID I, time now. It is like, COVID time, but I'm just saying this is these are films that are still having to work within a system that allows them to get distribution, get nominated for Oscars, get nominated for awards, and that and those things still matter. Um, so I will give them credit. I was impressed at how seamless. Yeah. Everything went on That's my good because I streamed from my phone to my TV. Yeah, through the oh. Lincoln Center player, and then actually so my like my yeah, it was like Quibi. I watched. <laughs> Could it in you eight turn it? In... <laughs> yeah, you watched it in ten second bursts. Hey, I, I you really know, R.I.P. Quibi. <laughs> uh, good, good on pour them one out. For... Yeah, pour one out. Pour one out. Soderbergh had a show on there. How yeah. bad could it have been? I mean, Spielberg yeah. was working on a show for Quibi as well. That was that had a great premise where you would it would only release. At between like two and six a.m., you could only watch it with those pair in that time. What a great, it what a, a hard great time to be alive. <laughs> what a great, yeah. Is it? <laughs> um, but the movie that is coming out or has been released is David Fincher's Mank, uh, essentially about Herman Mankiewicz, the writer of Citizen Kane, and much like Pauline Kael's uh, similar uh, essay, Raising Kane, kind of 
re-examines the authorship of Citizen Kane. I believe. I have not watched the trailer. I'm presuming that's what Mank is you about. You haven't watched the trailer? No, sure I haven't. doesn't watch trailers. Don't watch trailers. Know. I mean, I think I knew that, but I would assume you would make an exception for this one. No, so. no. A Fincher film is specifically the kind of movie I would not watch a trailer for. Like, wow. there are movies where I'll just be like, I don't really care. I'll watch the trailer. He's a principal man. Yeah, so, like, I watched the Tom and Jerry trailer because I'm probably not going to watch that movie. Um, but the, the, the man, you know, David Fincher hasn't made a movie in four or five years now. I think the last thing was girl with a dragon tattoo is his last film that he's actually put out in a theater. Gone girl. Gone girl. Gone girl. Oh, gone, gone girl. girl. Of course. Gone yeah. girl. Gone girl uh, with the yeah. dragon tattoo. Gone girl, gone girl with girl the dragon yeah. tattoo. He loves naming things with girls. In the <laughs> yeah. And I, I <laughs> absolutely uh, like, look, there are two Zodiac people. Girl. Look, if you were to categorize film bros by their love of two particular filmmakers, it is Orson Welles and David Fincher, right? Am I like those? Those are the film bro. I go to maybe really of like eighties. Who are the film bro? Like the well, okay, no, 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 let, let's, Who? Yeah. Is is Fincher a film bro for you guys? Yes. Oh, yeah. for sure, yeah. sure. I I I don't have. I, I don't have the love affair, Shahir, that you and many do for Orson Welles. I, I appreciate a lot of it, but like I'm often never drawn back. Um, so so uh, I, while I think I am in the minority here, I actually, and, and straight up, I don't talk to enough like, I guess the term we'll use is film bros <laughs> right now, but like the, the, maybe the, the new class of film bros, the up and comers, the, the fellow young people, uh, I don't, I I don't know if they would or not. Let me get my backwards baseball hat. Hang on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me I get my lit, mine, let me get I'm my litter boxed cap. No, I um, think that's true. I think Fincher speaks to like a certain thirty-five of them plus. Yeah. Film, but that's all these guys. Paul Thomas well, Anderson's the same way. Like, yeah, but I think know. Fincher, because of like the the proximity to like extreme masculinities with like Seven and Fight Club in particular. Yeah, yeah. That's like, true. He's been around for a while and since like to cultivate a certain type of like film broiness. Like when you're like 20 and you see Fight Club for the first time and you're like this and it and I fucking love Fight Club, but I'm saying that you can see how it could clearly be misread and misinterpreted yeah. and it could attract the worst kind of film uh fans and consistently does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Without question. So, the idea that Fincher would um take a script written by his father which re-examines the uh, authorship of Citizen Kane, uh, and apparently, from what I've read, is one of his warmer films, uh, which is not a um, um, a claim leveled at Fincher very often. I'm 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 genuinely uh, excited to see this, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to revisit Citizen Kane in its uh, in itself as well. Not least of which because both of you deal kind of uh, in the in the question of authorship and the question of author, uh, like what is the meaning of mm. an author in your podcast. Um, and you know their body of work, so the the sort of translation between Orson Welles to Fincher I thought was somewhat interesting, but I I guess the question of Citizen Kane has its inherent um, dynamic to it as well when it comes to, to to film criticism because you know for many a year probably the last forty or no probably the last at this stage the last seventy years uh, Citizen Kane has remained at least within the top five if not holding the number one spot at the AFI, uh, AFI top 100 films of all time list, and is often referred to as the greatest movie ever made. I'm curious how that 
claim that that label that is being applied to Citizen Kane, if that means anything to you or has meant anything to you as you know, I guess we could call ourselves all film bros in this room in some Oh, I, I think it in it like it's huge for me because I remember watching that AFI 100 special. Yeah. I don't know how old I was. I would guess I was like 10 or 11. I was young. And I remember I hadn't seen Citizen Kane at that point because I had like a, a dad that liked movies, but it was basically James Bond and Pink Panther. And then yeah. like everything else, I kind of like the important rented films. on my own. The important <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, the meaningful stuff. The but I remember stuff. I re- the I remember them. Um, I remember that. <laughs> now I'm thinking of more titles with David Fincher movies that have girl in them. Um, <laughs> I remember that watching that special and them saying Citizen Kane and not really knowing what Citizen Kane was. And the very next day going to the video store where you bought videos as opposed to rent them because then I would rent a video and I bought Citizen Kane. I was like, this is an important movie. So the first time I saw it, I was probably 11, 10. And I've revisited at least once every decade. Though I will say that probably the last time I watched it before last night was when I was like early 20s. So it's probably been 16 years since I watched it. You you definitely are a sprightly 70-year-old, by the way. I look great. Um, It's been 16 years. Uh, I'm, I'm the curious case of Benjamin Button, girl. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's a stupidly important movie to anyone that loves movies, especially American, American, right? It's like, has a, it's, it's, and I'm sure we'll talk about this and then I, and then I'll shut up. But it, it is, it is like the blueprint for so much of what is constitutes American filmmaking. It's crazy. Yeah. George, what about you? When did you, when did you first experience Citizen Kane? I must have seen it maybe when well, I was sorry. like 14 or 15. You know, it's funny too. Well, it's funny you should say that because I think this is only the third time I've seen it. Okay. Um, but I definitely saw it for the first time when I was like 14 or 15. And again, this kind of sense of like you start getting into film. You start hearing everybody say like, this is the greatest film ever made. Um, and I remember being blown away by it the first time I saw it. I was totally blown away by it yesterday, even though, I, you know, seeing it now, you know, now that I'm so much more older and wiser with gray in my beard. There were a couple of moments that it was like, oh, that kind of like falls flat. This kind of doesn't totally work for me. We could obviously talk about those moments. Um, But yeah, it's still a fucking monumental film. It's still, like Liam said, it's really, really essential viewing. And one of the films that I kept thinking about while watching at this time was There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. And yep. thinking mm-hmm. about, like, I, I, I did, I did the same thing. Yeah, and it was like there can't, like you can't have especially like, those last twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Especially the last twenty minutes for sure. Yeah, when he's was cloistered, kind of like alone, um, yeah. without question. So it was, there were like all these other, and also obviously thinking about you can't also at least within our current context think of watch this and not think about Trump. Do- yeah, Donald Trump, so, of course, or so social network. I thought yep. about social, social network yep. a lot. Of course. More. Social I think the, the, the correct title is Social Network Girl. Thank you, George. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> the socially, the so, the girlish social network. Yeah, whatever. Social network girl. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how girl. are we going to squeeze in Alien Three Girl? That's the one I'm going to. I like. think you just did it. Yeah, yeah, you did that's, it. That's when we're no, going to work. Panic Room Alien Girl is going to be the girl? one that really screws us around. Alien Girl, girl Three. <laughs> three Alien Girls. <laughs> girl Fight Club. Girl Club. Seven uh, girls. Oh god. Okay. We've all we've all had fun with Google. House of Girls. 
Matt, when girl was Hunter. the first time? The girl game. <laughs> um, the first time. I like that one. Yeah, yeah that's the, good. <laughs> the first time I saw Citizen Kane must have been. Um, I feel like in film school. I feel like that's where I would have would have gotten it again. I think much like uh, I think Liam was saying, I, I my 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 dad liked movies, but it was not, you know, I I the reason I got into this industry is Escape from New York. So use that as you will. Um, yeah, hell yeah, seen, dude. I uh, know, uh, <laughs> hello, fellow young people, Snake Pliskin. So um, the the Charles Foster Kane of that period of New York of, of that period of time, one hundred percent. Um, and I've seen it probably five or six times since then. Um, and I, I, I remember really sort of um, being blown away by it when I first saw it because it, it was, it was so nice to sort of see, uh, for lack of a better term, both a history lesson and a, um, a lesson in how to make movies put out there, showing off so many sort of things and techniques and and style stylistic choices that I knew I liked, but I didn't know where they came from. Um, ever since then, I have found it to be a film that has diminishing returns for me. Oh. Uh, this time in particular, I, I hate to say it, and I will be trounced upon on, on this podcast and film Twitter, etc. I'm uh, tweeting already. You yeah. should. <laughs> I was bored. <laughs> Um, I was too. I was uh, so bored this time. It was so strange, and I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get over how bored I was. Um, and and I started to be like this. I felt bad. I felt like a bad film bro, bros. <laughs> like I felt, I felt like I was doing something wrong. But I honestly think, I mean, this movie's what eighty something, yeah, or close to eighty years old. Yeah. Um. I think what has happened is all of the things that have been gleaned from this movie have, and you you go run the gamut from 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 technique of film craft to memeing a twist ending, like and everything sort of in between has been milked and reused and mm. redone, and sometimes greatly, sometimes poorly, but it, it's so ingrained in what we consider. A, a good movie now it feels to watch this felt like such old hat to me and it made me feel bad that i was feeling that i was feeling that way about the the progenitor of all of these things that i like um i i i cannot believe I, well here's the thing we, we'll talk about like putting it at the top of that film list right like for many reasons it should be there and for many reasons, it should not. And we should kind of talk about what that list is actually uh, a gauge mm -hmm. of. Mm -hmm. Because if it's enjoyable, effective, emotionally resonant film, I do not think that movie belongs anymore on the top of that list. Uh, from a personal, from a personal uh, level. Uh, but we can get into fired. it. Shot, we can get yeah. into it. Give me shots fired. That's fired. I mean, uh, just to summarize really quickly, I, I, I think I saw the movie a little bit later in life. I I sort of knew Wells as the voice of uh, Unicron in Transformers. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and and then, of course, uh, the inspiration for Pinky and the Brain. Um, and and I think it was... But, but, you know, like all of you, there was this point in my life where I kind of... I, I knew that Citizen Kane was some kind of monolith, some kind of monument that needed to be observed like a like a piece in a gallery that you should experience at some point in your life. Sure. 
Um, and I rec- and I and I do recall, but I feel like it was like in my twenties when I went to the video store. I picked up a copy of Citizen Kane, and it was a shitty old copy. Um, and then like I watched it late at night in my basement. And but the feeling I got was was pretty like wow that you know I knew this was a monument, and I knew this was going to be uh, um, something that you should approach like a, a, a gallery art piece. Um, but unlike when I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey for the first time where I was like, I need, I'm not quite in sync with this. I need to figure out how, you know, how to get mm-hmm. in sync with this. If I, if I ever am going to get in sync with this, uh, Citizen Kane was one where I was, I, I automatically in sync with it. I was kind of dazzled, uh, pretty much from the first viewing. Um, and I've watched it, uh, many times since, uh, taught it in film school. The, the, you know, it's, it's fun. It, it's an easy movie to teach as well, because it is. Mm. Um, you know the direct line between theme and technique is so is so obvious in it, and and I think that's one of the the thing that's that that has been really interesting about revisiting Citizen Kane so often is its is its relationship between technique and theme is so is so direct and so obvious. It's pretty much like spelling what it's trying to say through the visual language that it employs pretty directly, um, and so that makes for great film student, you know, film 101 kind of teaching because it's like, okay, this is how a film can operate. Um, but I pulled out a quote. It's funny, as, Matt, as you were talking, uh, I read... Um, Did you find a quote to debunk all of my thoughts? No, not to debunk. I was, uh, I, I this this week I read oh, uh, Pauline Kael's, you, uh, Pauline Kael's uh, Raising Cain. Did Pauline Kael tell me to fuck off? Well, the first line of Pauline Kael's, uh, of Pauline Kael's book uh, of of this essay is Citizen Kane is perhaps the one American talking picture that seems as fresh now as the day it opened. Mm. It may seem even fresher. A great deal in the movie that was so conventional and almost banal in 1941 is so far in the past as to have been forgotten and to become new. The pop characterizations look modern and rather better than they did at the time. And and, and I I so my viewing of it this time around was very much that I've seen it many times. I've 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 watched it with the Ebert commentary. I've watched it with the Bogdanovich commentary. Um, have you watched it with the Trump commentary? I would I, actually. Errol Morris. <laughs> Boring. I don't like it. Have you guys seen Bad. Trump talking about Citizen Kane? It's weird. Yes, have you guys seen that? Yeah, yeah. 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 Errol Morris uh, interviewed uh, Donald Trump to talk about Citizen Kane, and it's clear he hasn't watched the movie, or he's right. just like, no, he's, he's seen scenes of it, or he was in the room when it was playing and, and paid attention at like three points, or someone told him Rosebud is the slate, and that's pretty much all he got out of it. Um, I do find the film kind of, um, daz- I still find it dazzling. I still find it sort of miraculous to watch. I still think about the, the conception of a 24 year old, um, theater guy wandering into Hollywood and say, and ripping apart the floorboards and saying the camera needs to be, um, you know, underneath the floorboard so we can look up at these two towering men. I so- think about like, I think about the, the mm-hmm. sort of. The structural conception of um, what Herman Mankiewicz co- coined as the prismatic look of uh, of a man's life, and I also think about the fact, you know, like something Pauline Kael writes about is like the the idea that um, you know uh, the gimmick of Rosebud is dollar store Freud, but I find it oddly compelling, and I do think that regardless of like the cr- the critique of like whether uh, a man's life can be summed up in one object, which I, I actually don't think that's what the film's doing. I do think it's a beautiful gimmick and it works so perfectly within the construct of this, of what the story is trying to do. 
And so for me, for all those reasons, I, I'm still dazzled by it. And I think uh, I can see by everyone's ready to jump in here. We're, we're going to have a conversation about Citizen Kane. <laughs> but Matt, could you tell us for the listeners at home oh, who may not have seen Citizen of Kane? Of course. Absolutely. What is IMDb? say citizen kane is about i would would want nothing more so there's this sled right (laughs) yeah yeah so that's how it starts so there's this sled no here we go following the death of publishing tycoon charles foster kane reporters scramble to uncover the meaning of his final utterance rosebud fake news there was no one in the room feels like i was also it's one reporter (laughs) it's one reporter let's be real can i actually ask you so i watched it on hbo max which is my favorite streaming service even mm. though i'm infuriated with so many they're aspects not, of it they're not paying us liam it's, it's yeah. you don't have to but really you know what they are paying us with on on christmas One, day wonder woman 1984 bud Fuck i'm on board yeah. let's do it let's do, we're doing citizen an episode kane on that of wonder woman movies the citizen kane of wonder have woman me, have me back when that awful <laughs> fucking new justice league comes comes out so i could just oh, i can't i can't look at that gillette ad of a steppenwolf picture one more fucking time i'm like oh did you add more Fuck spikes now am i impressed zach schneider loves leonard cohen and doesn't <laughs> understand leonard cohen also yeah uh, so the description for citizen kane on hbo max is as follows the investigation of a publishing tycoon's dying words reveal conflicting stories about his scandalous life. I don't really think there's anything conflicting in the movie. Like, I don't really buy that as an explanation of his life, no. and I kind of feel like they're applying a, like a Rashomon mentality. Yeah. Well, to no, the but movie. Rashomon is it comes later, right? Like, you guys would have yeah. just done Rashomon. Rashomon comes after yeah. 1941, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. like the, it's the same sort of like. It's interesting that that's the way they. I just thought it was interesting when I was watching it earlier that that's the way they choose. To no, but there's definitely it. conflict. What do you mean? Of course. No, con- conflict is different. Con- I don't know. Conf- the stories feels- are not conflicting. Like they're, yeah. they're every every story. Like no no one source tells us a thing that then disputes the other source previous to it. Like it's all like adding on the life in almost a chronological way. Uh, I, I mean, I look the way Mankiewicz described it is apply a prismatic structure. Sure, so, but that's I, not what I, that's not what I saw. What I well, saw is a framing device to talk about this dude's life re- relatively chronologically. Granted, you jumped a little bit, but nothing was like it. Never was like from the perspective of one person, and we saw the angle of that as if it was that like a different man than another person perceived. It was well, all very yeah. complementary. To to the to the previous story, it built a story, a singular story of one person that did not feel prism like a prismatic look of a human being. It felt like the story of a human being who went through changes in their life, and that was it. Right, but are we taking umbrage with the description or the movie? <laughs> I'm, I, I I I guess the the description uh, is what I was doing. <laughs> I think it presents this interesting way to think about the movie a little bit. So, like, although I was. When I said I was bored, I think I was restless. And I think part of that, the restlessness comes from the fact that, like, George and I have been watching, slow, let's say, slow, black sure. and white yeah. language films for months now. And most of my viewing in quarantine has honestly been um, TV shows. Kirby like, that's mostly what I've been watching because it's easier and my brain is ready for it. But I think... I'm still blown away. I think the technique to, 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 to boil down some of Shahir's thoughts a little bit, I think the technique in this movie is very showy. But when I say that, I don't think it's showy like, oh, look at Orson Welles like showing yeah. how good he was. I think mm-hmm. it's just like so important to filmmaking that like he he 
he sort of did everything that everyone has been doing for now. Exactly. Right. Or 80 years or however long it's been. But I was struck this time by how more than the filmmaking, how incredible Wells is in the role and how complicated my relationship to the character is. Yeah. And how despite the fact that he's like a he he's very Trumpian, but he's also to me weirdly sympathetic towards mm-hmm. the end of the film when he doesn't want to leave his house and like he he has this like weird um picnic with all these people. Like I was really blown away by by the way that I'm that my mm-hmm. complicated feelings to the character in this viewing and how re revisiting this film every let's say 10, 15 years, you have a much more nuanced relationship to the movie so in other words when i was 10 or 11 i was like oh wow look at the film not the filmmaking technique but oh wow i've seen this before in my 20s it was like look at the filmmaking technique now as like a 38 year old man i'm like oh this is the story of a life and it i found it much more compelling in that regard than i ever had before but i also was very impatient with it. and that right. could be because i've absorbed the filmmaking for my entire life whether i'm watching this movie or not okay George, I feel like we haven't really heard uh, your your kind of read on the film. I mean, well, first and foremost, I, I loved it. I, I loved it. I loved watching it again. Um, I wasn't, I mean, there were, so for example, like its use of montage is like incredible. Mm-hmm. The way in which it kind of is um, able to, again, like through the juxtaposition of images, kind of like deliver its messages and stories, which we already kind of like hinted at and talked mm-hmm. about. It's incredible. Um yeah, no, and I thought, like, again, as a document of a certain type of, like, American life, mm. it's so, not just, like, prescient, but it's so important, I think, to, like, our ongoing kind of, like, current political fucking situation, where, and it's just interesting also to think about, like, how he fails to become the politician that, obviously, that's somebody like Trump, um, you know, like, Trump obviously succeeds at that, right, it's kind of finding himself like embroiled in that kind of level of political power. So I just thought it was great in the sense of like, this film is clearly saying things to us today that are still like Mm -hmm. super prevalent. Right. And just, and they're prevalent obviously because it's the, just like it's the American story of the 20th century into the 21st century. Like it's still there. It's still with us. Like we're still obsessed with these great men. We still give way too much power to like rich people in our society. So it's those lessons that I think like, make this film like totally totally contemporary i will say though go like there were again a few moments where it just was like a little bit too like so for example at the very end where you have like an incredible visual motif of the puzzles yeah of the jigsaw puzzles that you see (laughs) over and over and over again and then you get this fucking reporter who's like well maybe actually his life is like this jigsaw puzzle right here and we're missing this one piece like yeah motherfucker like i get it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's what the visual motif is supposed to be i don't need the reporter to then tell me like you may be stupid out there in audience land so let me explain this visual motif but that was like one of the only moments in the film that didn't work for me right right and but but you know to, i mean i think i would be the the part i would sort of take to there is that cinema at that point wasn't necessarily as jumpy as mm-hmm. wells was and so his like um his faith in like the audience to remember that motif, given that he jumped three times in, in, you know, in chronology between the seeing of the, the jigsaw puzzles and revealing the jigsaw. I'm, you know, like I'll, I'll give it, you know, like, again, we can argue that the film uh, did pioneer a lot of techniques that are commonplace now. And it's not to say films didn't jump around chronologically before that as well. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, for me personally, the, the, the revisit was interesting because for, for me, 
the the thing that I've always sort of wrapped, wanted to wrap my my head around was how does how does the the youthful exuberant mischievous twenty four year old Wells slash Kane and I you know like they they sort of fused in an interesting way Wells slash Kane slash Hurst mm-hmm. um, how does that that optimistic idealistic principle you know man who writes uh, the Declaration of Principles. Um, how does at what point does he transform, and at what point does he abandon those principles for his own selfishness? And and it's really interesting because the the conflict that arises isn't that something external pushes him in that direction. It's the idea that he was always a fraud at twenty four. He just didn't realize it then. You know, like the I think to me the point at which the film suggested happens is during their marriage. You know, the the sort of famous. Uh, uh, tabletop marriage scene where we're sort of panning from left to right, and suddenly they come back to to uh, to to Kane, and uh, his wife says something along the lines like, "What will the people think?" And he says, uh, "They'll think whatever I want them to think." And there's clearly just this jump that's happened from the man who wrote his Declaration of Principles and "I must protect the will of the people" to that moment. But but, in, there... but there's nothing externalized that that creates that that sort of different version. I think what what was sort of the thing that I sort of found interesting this time around was that the the film is kind of positing this idea is that Hearst or Kane or Wells was never the idealist. He was an he was uh, you know a capitalist you know masquerading as an idealist at the beginning of the movie, and by the end he's revealed his true form. What and I, and I, I I found that really like subtle and surprising and insightful. So. I don't know if it's just the times we're living in, but I this time around there was and again I've seen the film so of course but like the writing is on the wall of who Kane is from 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 since you see him the first time before since he's a little boy in the snow. Like I you have that sort of useful exuberance of like of like I want to help people and stuff like that, but he's not like he wants and it's very clear the entirety of this film that this is a dude that just wants to be loved. By everybody, he, and it's not even like a real love or mm. something like that. Love it's on his ju- own terms, Jebediah. It, it's yeah, it's just <laughs> like he wants to be revered, respected, be thought about. And um, I don't know if my viewing has been tainted this time around. That in 2020, I'm so fucking over that guy. <laughs> like I don't give a shit if like he had a wonderful idea of like I want to represent the people because he didn't and he never did. He wanted people to see him representing the people, and it just makes me not empathize at all. And look, I get the 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 desire to want to try to humanize Titans. Uh, Greeks and and myth across time has tried to humanize uh, forces beyond our control, but at the end of the day, what this film posits is here's a selfish dude who tried to masquerade as not being selfish that just kind of wishes he could go back to sledding. And I'm like, cool, great, <laughs> fun. Like the, the thing that was, and I'll, I'll sort of I'll pivot off of this. The, a lot of what you were saying, Shahir, about what you, what you revere uh, 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 about this film falls more on the filmmaking and the side of the story of Orson Welles more so than the story told about Mm-hmm. Charles Foster Kane. And I think there's a very, it, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I think um, 
the, the film craft oftentimes when discussing this film takes over the, the interest and the, and the, and the exuberance and the, and the wonderment of how this film was made takes over from the film that I was shown two days ago. Like, I, I think th that, that makes it, that might in, in, infuse itself into the story the film is telling us as we watch it. And, and maybe uh, some of that energy is sort of siphoned into it because I, and, and again, that's me reading out beyond <laughs> me just for me. I'm like, bro, film bros. I don't give a shit about Charles Kane. I don't not, I, I like as a character. I'm like, I do not give a shit. Hmm. I, I, I yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Liam. No, no. I, I think that that's not an inappropriate response. Right. To the movie in 2020 at all. I think that that's a, and I, also I also feel bad about it. I feel bad that I feel that way. I'd like but to that's, put that out there. That's a little bit of the conditioning of, of the way that we're all meant to view this movie, right? Like it's not a, it's not an accident that, we treat it with a certain reverence. Like I was just thinking it would be interesting to show this movie to like a nine year old that's never heard of it before. And right. to be like, Hey, what do you think of this movie without set? But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, nine well, well, you know what I mean? George's like head shake. I wish you could have seen it through the internet. Yeah, I think he actually, medium. I think he hurt his neck, but you know what I mean? Like, someone who show it. Brendan Fraser wakes up in blast from the past and we show him <laughs> Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. Because I think that it's hard to look at this movie with any sort of fresh. Because it's something a book comes out or a movie like Mank or or a, or something comes out every so often that that asks us to sort of re re interrogate or 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 view this movie again in a new light. And I don't. I think that that maybe is an indic indicative of the fact that it's an important piece of American. Mm -hmm. and it's a hugely important piece of American art. But it's. I understand that reaction because it's just it's so we're so inundated not only with this movie but we're inundated with like canian kane-esque figures in our life still every day which i think right, george but, is sort of alluding to we're, but, 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 but yeah i think also there, by the way we're, we're discounting the amount of cultural literacy we have in terms of films like i've literally i've literally spoken to my students who are 18 or 19 or 20 years old i'm like i'm like oh it's like you know like you're trying to t t talk to them about plato and you're like yeah it's like the matrix and they're like what like, what's the <laughs> matrix and i'm like that film just came out twenty fucking years ago. Yeah, I'm, what I'm trying to say is like I, I understand what you're saying. Like it's it's been regurgitated in the culture. We see it. It's it's there. It's like it's like the mm. air we breathe. But I still think like there's an incredible freshness to this. Like if you showed it to like a 16 year old who was like really interested in film and the possibilities of film, I think they'd see this or see potentially see this as something like mind blowing. Like I think as, would, as, they, see I it, agree. would they see it from a technical aspect or would they be engrossed with the story th that's being I told? I think they would be engrossed by the story. Yeah. This, yeah, this is like a really human story. Yeah, and, and I think the, the thing that's interesting to me is that we're obviously alluding to Donald Trump in some way because Donald Trump, William Randolph Hearst, Wells himself, you know, and the this sort of fused into the idea of Kane, the American entrepreneur who is um larger than life and whose money speaks volumes for their ideologies more than any more than mm -hmm. their actions themselves. And I, the thing about Trump, obviously, is that, and, and you know, like I, I agree with your response to the idea of the 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 great wealthy man in American in American culture uh, being a played out, you know, being played out. Like, uh, you know, we talked uh, a lot about there will be blood just a second ago, and I think there will be blood is obviously working in the same spectrum of that uh, American mythos. But but the thing that is that I think is interesting is that. Um, Donald Trump feels like the cartoon 
Pinky and the Brain version of of Charles Foster Kane. <laughs> like he feels he feels like the 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 terribly written cartoon version of someone like trying to rip off uh, Citizen Kane, and that's why. And 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 to that end, you know, like like I find Donald Trump to be just such a ridiculous human being that he's just beyond parody. That Citizen Kane actually gives me empathy for a character that I think has depth and and has meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. That that even if the film, you know, like even if the the even if the conception of what we what we think about those kinds of people is played out i think citizen kane actually has insight uh into that and 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 i think in, from a techniques point of view oddly the rosebud uh framing device is one of the sort of um biggest misdirections in the film because you know ultimately does rosebud actually explain this person's life and and i think one of the things that the film is really pointing at is not really it kind of, it's you could look at it in one way and suggest that it does but on the other hand everything you've watched before says that there's more to this than just the slit so so i've never in every it, from my first seeing of this before i knew i knew it's funny when i first saw this in college i knew that rosebud was a dying word but i never knew what it was I just never collected connected it together like so I knew that that was the thing and then when I found out it was a sled I was like oh cool so I the first time I saw this I was not like poisoned by the information prior right I thought it was a cool twist I thought it was like a nice like oh it, he he wishes for a simpler time or like whatever it was I never across any of the five or six viewings of this film that I've done have ever once thought this is the this is the culmination of this man's life or this is the thing that ties it together. Like, mm-hmm. I know that, like, the reporters say that. They're like, the, a man's last words are important. and blah, 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 blah. Like, cool. But, like, I never thought, like, Rosebud was the en- encompassment. I-, I-, I just thought it was like, oh, he he's thinking back to the last time he was legitimately happy. And it was before he was taken away and brought into this whole life, sold for a gold mine to get away from an abusive father or, or something uh so like I, I i i hear the rita often about like oh well it's it's the it's it's it, the, the one word is his entire life i'm like it is it i i never got that take i think some of that comes from the fact that and i'm serious about this there's a very very famous episode of the simpsons yeah there is bobo. i haven't seen it bobo. With, oh really with yeah, bobo. bobo the bear so it's that, that I feel like that that defined Bobo. I yeah, feel like Bobo. that defined <laughs> Citizen Kane for a lot of people. Yeah. And I also think I know it's ridiculous, but there's that great family guy cut where someone's watching Citizen Kane and there's a cut in the tape and Peter's like, It's a sled. It's a sled from when he was a kid. There, I saved you two long boobless hours. And just how like that has been forever the the yeah. emphasized I, thing about Citizen Kane. And and the way Peter Griffin is talking about the movie is the easy read of the movie, right? right? Like it's the easiest read yeah. of the movie and it's the and ultimately it's the it's the dollar store freud that that you know everyone kind of talks about like um that the movie operates on on its simplest level but but that's not what what charles foster kane's life has meant like his life that you know again i like that sort of that that phrase that mankowitz refers to as this prismatic look which is conflicting it's like on the one hand he propounds to be uh, purports to be idealistic about the will of the people. On the other hand, he believes that the printing press should print everything that he wants it to say about the people he wants it to say it about. But that's and, kind of that's kind of my point. He's but th- he's you, you, it's that's not 
prismatic, that's a liar lying consistently throughout the movie. No, but here's the difference is that um, I believe that when when Cain writes his declaration of principles, he believes that that is an important declaration. He's not he's not being externally fraudulent. He's not writing this to presume that he believes these things. I but it's that the, that the, the he... process over time chips away and who he really is comes through. You know, like I, I we talked about this on the um, podcast is the uh, is Tchaikovsky's film Stalker, which is, the, you know, the idea that you go into a room and the room reveals a truth about you. And and I think what what's interesting about this film is that the truth about Wells uh, about Kane becomes apparent as you the the more you look through his life and it doesn't mean that at 25 when he takes over the papers and you know wants to change the 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 the, the tide of of um of uh, journalism that he doesn't believe those things to be true like but he, he believes those things to be true as a means to an end of being revered and loved and th and th that's the whole thing with rosebud mm -hmm. in general if you want to put that back toward what the meaning of that is that's the last time he actually truly felt revered and loved in that in that space like i never thought from the, the first time i've seen this movie that like when he was like i'm doing the declaration because you never see anything in the movie of that actually helping anybody that never actually is presented it's all around him it's what he's feeling around those things and therefore i didn't think the movie thought it was important to show me because it didn't show me like the emotional drive of why he thought this was right he was just saying stuff because it was the stuff that made people like him. Like, and so like, again, I, I've never, I never see that transformation. I see a, a difference in modus operandi to actually like get things done or try to be loved or liked by the most amount of people. He tries to do it with the newspaper and then eventually he's like, I could do it more with politics. And then he gets a, a, a scandal with a singer, quote unquote. And then that goes away. And then he doubles down because of course he fucking does. And decides to make the woman a singer to make the headline correct, and I, I, which that's Wait, my but, favorite but Matt, part of the movie. Matt, is the thing is, that's my I, favorite part. Of what the I'm movie. getting is, you just don't like Charles Foster Kane. Sure, I, I have no empathy for him, and therefore, yeah. again, and we've talked about this a lot. If I can't empathize with a character that is the main crux of a story, the film has been lost for me. Like, I, I again, I do not want to take away from the fact that this is a landmark cultural icon of cinema that every film since then has taken something from whether it knows it or not and owes it a debt from a technical story presentation level i'm saying the story that is presented is relatively is is i've always read it as much sort of simpler than all of the think pieces think about it and i've been like okay cool this is an incredibly crafted film that is a mediocre story about a guy i don't like <laughs> this reminds me a little bit of your but the roles are reversed of your previously on the only podcast about movies about your um episode about scott pilgrim oh yeah. maybe weird it's, yeah where i remember like she here if correct me if i'm wrong she here hated the titular scott pilgrim and matt was like oh well you know he's kind of nuanced there's the like, <laughs> complexities there but like she here couldn't get over the fact that he's like i just fucking hate this twerp that's super interesting and well matt, that's, that's a really the... great uh, yeah, because that, I think I think you're like obviously I empathize with Kane, even though I think fundamentally in as a in total he's an asshole. But I still there are moments. So why are you like, wearing sympathy, that Charles empathy. Foster Kane T-shirt? I, I, I got I just got it in the mail. Thank you very much. <laughs> CFK baby. 
What's, what's that place called? Mondo? The Charles Mondo Foster Kane, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Make that t-shirt. <laughs> Make it happen. Mank that t-shirt. Oh, okay. I'm... All right, all right. No, but that's, I, I think that's a phenomenal, and, and that's an interesting, yeah, I, I think this is very similar to that. Well, I think in the case of, um, I mean, not to derail the conversation to Scott Pilgrim, but in the case of Scott but Pilgrim, let's do it. Let's please yeah, love Scott Pilgrim, intended, one of my favorite movies. You, you, Liam, you need to love working. that character to love the journey he's on. And I think my beef with that film was that, if I recall, and, and I'm stretching this back a little while here, is that um, I didn't care for the the actual journey of the Seven Xs as it related to Scott's, you know, becoming of a a better person in the case of in in the case of of citizen kane i think this prismatic approach and this idea of all the unusual steps that kane kind of takes in his life and his willingness to be defiant in the face of his own downfall i've always found really fascinating i find it even more fascinating right this time around so the things like Things like um, uh, rewriting the review that uh, Jitta Dyer is writing about uh, mm-hmm. Susan Alexander's um, performance, you know, like taking it and saying, "I'm going to continue. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to write it as it was intended, even though I've spent all this time trying to build her up." Great moment. Yeah, and 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 similarly, the moment when he's caught with her and he makes the decision that, you know, like I could continue my political career or I could I could come back from this if I just. Um, you know, ducked out of this race or something like that. But he's he's defiant in that moment because he believes that he that he his principles mean more than his actions. Is but Charles also... Foster Kane just Scott Pilgrim who didn't learn anything? <laughs> is that what is that where we're going? Or is Scott Pilgrim the Charles Foster Kane of Girl. Canadian comic book stores? Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is an indication, though, of how incredibly like important this movie is to uh, film mm. narrative. Because although like we think it's a little ridiculous to be like Scott Pilgrim and, and Citizen Kane have nothing in common, that's not true at all because it's such an indelible yeah. character. I also think that it's too... I, I'm not super concerned with, with sympathizing with the main character. There's a lot of movies where I yeah. don't sympathize with the main character or better. You know, one of the things that's happened this year is I've revisited some of my like favorite, uh, particularly American movies. So I rewatched Chinatown this year, which right. is a movie nice. I, I watch basically every year. Yeah. Um, I watched the Maltese Falcon this year mm-hmm. for the first time in five or six years. And like, there's some, you know, those are specific examples of sort of like film noir detectives who, I don't know if I sympathize with them, but I like them. I don't right. think I like Charles Foster Kane, but I do think that my my complicated relationship to him as a character um, becomes more complicated every time I watch the movie. Because I think one of the things that's great about movies is that you want to like the characters that you're watching on screen. Like, you want to like Charles Foster Kane, but it's Or you hard want to, to like, like seeing them do the thing they're doing. Right. Like, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you want to be like... It's one of the things that makes a character compelling. Like you want to agree with what they're doing or you want, not even that you want to do that, but like you want to, I think the t- tension is in, in movies like this is, is somewhere between like being not, not liking what someone is doing, but wanting to find something to like about their character, right? Yeah. Um, 
it's well, not all that different from social network like i you yeah. know mark zuckerberg as a character like you it's hard to sympathize with him but also he's clever and smart and says funny things but the interesting like, thing is in that film in social network girl uh <laughs> they they do do things that make you even for a moment be like wait this is a human being like right. whoa you don't and, think they and, do that in citizen kane yeah i not enough for me the not enough for me to um let me let me back it up a little bit this is how I'll gtf put this. <laughs> yeah yeah whoa no so i i don't think that it's just character moments of zuckerberg in social network girl i think it is the cultivation of everything going on in that movie that allows those small moments to actually be effective like and i think i used the wrong term when i'm like oh if i'm not empathizing with the character i'm not a boy you know da 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 I think it's more along the lines of, okay, if I can't empathize with your main character or the character that I'm supposed to be following through the film, I need other stuff to latch onto. And what do I latch onto in Citizen Kane when I can't do that? I latch onto much the way that Shahir sort of said, the technical side of it, the, the, the meaning of it, the importance of it to cinema. And that is interesting and lovely, but not engaging in the film that is being shown to me. Like That's the, interesting because I think you're divorcing those two things in a way that that I don't see. Like um, that's been the thing for me that I've always found compelling about Citizen Kane is the marriage of technique and theme are so unified. Like 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 Liam, I think you said earlier, it's not a case that Wells is there going, look at me, look at this thing I'm going to do. It's like he does this thing and it reveals something about the story that he's telling. Like there is a direct there, there there's a sense yeah. that the techniques he's using are really purposeful for the narrative. Like they, they actually matter for what, for, for they're not just thrown in for the sake of doing them. They're actually co directly connected to what he's trying to say. But I think well, I because, think... Oh, just, sorry, just to wrap no, that up ahead, on, please, on my please, head. Please, please, um, please, please, please. Um, I think, the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> uh, I think to wrap it sort of up is all of those things do point back to the, the thing that they are sort of talking about in the story they are trying to tell. But the problem is it's all about Charles Foster Kane. And it goes back. It's like it's like a snake eating its own tail for me at that point where I'm just like, and we're back to this guy. So I can only look at it from like an outside perspective in, in this way that I'm viewing it in in that sort can of I, can i ask a question do you like jitter uh is it jibadai or jitter jitter do you like jitter because jitter is sort of yes. the the sort of great. ethical foil to to charles foster kane in many ways he sees through it i like him as a exposition machine or as a sort of like uh, altering viewpoint but i can't like this is the other thing too what else can we say about that guy other than he's like a more a moral foil as far as a character what else is he well, no, what do you he, want him to be, though? Because I think I want him to be I don't a, know. a, a no, but, fleshed but I guess out character. That's my, my point is, is does if if you I, and by the way, if you don't like Charles Foster Kane, that's totally fine. I, I get that. And I get yeah. that reasoning. Um, But but my my question yeah. is, is, do you do you find the people around him compelling? Like, are you sympathetic to the plight of Susan Alexander, who kind of becomes trapped in 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 Kane's vortex of uh, of wants? Yeah. They're, they're 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 more. I find we oddly enough, uh, both wives in this movie are probably the most well developed characters outside of Kane. Like well, Bernstein I, I, too, right? Oh, Bernstein's yeah. great. I Bernstein, forgot about. Yeah, Bernstein. I always I feel so bad good. for Bernstein ever since he falls out of that carriage with the, like with Kane's bid at the beginning. I'm like, oh man. 
Yeah, I like that character a lot. He's yeah. amazing, yeah. And he's that, that, that he's amazing... He's great monologue, yeah. Yeah, that great story of like, like oh, I saw this one woman like for a brief second when I was 19. <gasps> it's beautiful. Back, like, yeah, it's beautiful. That's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, I, and, and I, you know, one thing that I didn't... I, 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 I remember, but I kind of like, it wasn't until this time around, I was like, it's mentioned in a brief flashback, but but uh, his first wife, Emily, uh, is it Emily? Uh, and his son die in die. a car car in yeah. a car crash and it's, oh yeah it's, and it's, it's never brought up again nor well, is it shown or told or anything it's just sort of like that's a thing it's but it's an interesting thing because i was like oh that's a really interesting because we do see the son and we see how much kane kind of like like loves his son and kind of like do loves we? being in the eye yeah. you know in, yeah, in the, the eyes of the his campaign, son and he's like is, he's is upset really when yeah. his son is taken away at that mo of his, at See, his I highest think, moment, I think and, that, for example, like sorry, sure, I think like that moment, for example, works amazingly well because yeah. you, I think in in the the hands of a lesser filmmaker, you would have like the five minute scene where he breaks down, yeah, and he's like, oh, I miss my son, but like I think you know, so often, right, the traumas in our life are just like holes, right? They're like yeah. aporias. They're the things that are like there, but they're not there. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, you could even just like potentially read like the revelation of Rosebud is like this longing for his dead child, right? Yeah. It's not just only about I think his the other own thing... lost innocence, but about like his dead son. I see. I I think it. Oh, sorry, Liam. Please go. I know. I'm being. I'm being. I'm stepping. Go. 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 Power Rangers. So girl. Girl. Go girl. <laughs> so gotta go. I would believe that if it was ever shown to me outside of that scene, we we had one technically two at the rally with the kid looking up adoringly and then walking out and then getting in the car with the kid, right? There's no other scene with the kid. I have no reference of how this guy feels about his kid other than outside of one scene where it looked to me anyway that he was more concerned at the irregularity of it, and he's like, wait, what's going on? I'm now suspicious. Like, right. I never got a read that he, mm. like, truly cared about this kid. And then the fact that this movie, that is the entirety of the telling of his story, doesn't even go into or mention once in a fleeting moment how the death of his son may have, have, have affected him. Like, it just doesn't do it. It just moves on to the singer. And it's like... Okay. But it's interesting. I guess you know to to George's point. I think the the singer kind of you know like why is he so obsessed with like making the singer you know uh, making Susan Alexander be this opera singer? He's trying to and, prove and that I, he's right in doing the things he's doing. Yeah, but it's also think, paternalizing. Yeah, he's internal, and I think I think it just speaks to the sort of broader context of like who the who is this person. And like, why does he do the things he does? He's an asshole. <laughs> yes, he might very well be he uh, like he is an asshole, but. I'm interested in like, and, and I think I'm bored well, I, the with thing assholes. That, the thing I'm surprised about <laughs> is how insightful the story is about this asshole. Like, like how how, yeah. how it probes this asshole pretty Oof. deeply. And <laughs> real deep asshole probe, girl. It's a real deep <laughs> asshole probe here. <laughs> this movie's right. It's it's being John Malkovich it levels of right like asshole, asshole traveling. Yeah. Um, but it also does it. One thing we haven't talked about, like we've we've sort of talked about, you know, the the role of this is like the the great one of the great American characters, whether he's a huckster or someone you can believe in, or all these things. One thing that this movie doesn't is that's so sophisticated is it it gives you a lot about this character through media, meaning we're not watching yes. scenes where, especially in like let's say the first fifteen minutes, like there's something so unbelievably 
sophisticated about how much of the story is set up through news of the world like yeah, that totally. kind of thing at the beginning and like i think it's worth mentioning that especially in light of what we're dealing with in our contemporary time with the media hucksters that like so much of our relationship to kane is kane as a public figure yeah. and i think what's really really powerful about the scene with the sun is that that is the only moment we have with him but that feels, you know, there's so much directorial intent in this movie or authorial intent, which is an interesting question when it comes to Mankiewicz and Kane. Yeah. But like the idea that why is it that Orson Welles chooses us, chooses to give us only a scene between a son and a father at a rally. And I think it's because it suggests the tensions that exist in the character of Charles Foster Kane and that he's a public figure full of ambition and hungry for some kind of success in the world but still is a father and still is a husband and fails yeah. terribly in those ways. But to me, it's, it is more successful because we don't have a scene with him at the sun at home, like, you know, holding the baby when he's born or something like this. I think the movie, to some extent, with the exception of Rosebud, a little bit refuses to psychologize Charles Foster Kane, and I think that makes it mm. a stronger movie in that our relationship with him beyond maybe the first scene when he's a child is mostly through the eyes of other people, through the eyes of a reporter, through flashback. Like yeah. we're never given a clear picture of who he is. And I think that that makes this a stronger movie than yeah. it would be yeah. if it were more like man is born, man leaves man. I just, I, I, I don't see the connective tissue of the sun. Like I, 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 I want to. <laughs> and, and I think, the I can only go off of what I think the movie is presenting to me as important. And it doesn't even have to do with like screen time or or amount of the thing, but like nowhere in that scene. I, I definitely think the son loved his father. It looked like in the scene when he's looking up at his dad and his dad's doing the, the speech. Like I I was on board. I'm like, this kid loves his dad. No question. And I, when the kid gets put in the car and everything, I do see that like, oh, I mean, in, in not in a not in a like this is the most important thing in his world because it's obviously not because that's not what the movie is telling us about his story because it is in two scenes. So if we can only go off what the film is telling us, this is a man who probably loves his son. He's confused that his son's going in a car and wait, oh wait, his wife wants to go where? Oh fuck, I'm caught. And then the rest of the, all of the people that are in Kane's life that are recounting the story beyond the newsreel in the beginning. Don't mention the first wife and the son dying in the least bit. So I, I can't I can't I, glean mm. that like that was a huge important moment for me. Because again, everything this movie tells us is that Charles Foster Kane only gives a shit really about Charles Foster Kane. And he does it in different ways throughout his life, but that's the through line. He wants to be loved and he can never be wrong. And that's that's it. And this and has been Matt Hour. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I don't want. I don't want to no, no, poo on this. No, like, no, no. I, can't. I, I think. I, yeah. Go ahead, George. Oh, just so wouldn't wouldn't though the the child then just further your point then right like so it if which I don't entirely agree with but let's say if the child is just simply there to further show how much of an asshole he is and that's the function that the child is playing in the film. A hundred percent. I, I okay. so that that's the read that I would agree with. I think I don't think the child. And that, like, it's just one more layer on the asshole cake 
but girl. See, I guess the, I guess the thing is, in, like coming back to the the sort of Trumpian. I'm gonna uh, pass on a slice of that cake, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's, sure? not, it's not a good cake. It's vegan. <laughs> uh, it's it came from uh, mm. Salo, 120 Days of Sodom. Don't eat the cake. Um, it, it, it came from when you were in that case. George platform. will absolutely eat the cake. <laughs> um, but the um i i think the thing is is again um you know if you think about it in the sort of trumpian paradigm that we live in you know i think what this film is doing is what a lot of us do with a with a figure like donald trump like and obviously back in 1939 19 um as this film was being conceived uh william randolph hearst whom you know in many cases is is uh argued to be part at least in part uh, the inspiration for Charles Foster Kane. I think we do, you know, as the as a public, we do do that kind of like psychoanalysis that we do with, you know, and we're trying to do yeah. it with Trump is like, why is Trump the way he is? Why is he such an asshole? Like, is it because his dad didn't love him enough? Or is it because he didn't, you know, he didn't learn empathy at any point? And I think the film is like, actually is, is pretty, like, as you say, Liam, pretty sophisticated in the way that it is pulling at all these different moments in his life to paint you kind of an incomplete picture, which you are required to kind of fill the holes in. And you might, you know, like, I don't disagree that Charles Foster Kane is probably an asshole, but I think the film is a sophisticated telling and, and has that sort of insightful depth to it about why does he do the things he does and like, and how those, how, how they can be two contradictory uh, ideals and pressures within this man to do thing to, to be terrible like to 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 defiantly stand in that doorway and say i'm not going home i'm staying right here um but to also write those declarations of principles and how that changes over time like the other thing that's masterful about this is the is you know wells's performance over time is so is so dynamic and it's so like the, the, the 25 year old version of him is incredible to watch it's just like this magnetic screen presence and then this you know like the version he becomes almost immediately two scenes later is almost like this malignant tumor on top of that person. Like that, that, that's how the makeup operates to me. And it's just this, like, I think the film is really insightful in terms of how it, you know, jumps around in those times to give you this like odd tension of this, of, of who this human being was. And I, I don't, you know, I don't think you have to like him to kind of be interested in where that journey goes. I, I think where I'm at is, this film, from a technical level, has the ability to dive deep into the characters it is portraying. And it does throw through craft and love and techniques that have been emulated since its release. But at the core, when what you're examining is narcissism, narcissism is not complicated, and I'm bored with it right now. <laughs> I, I think that's where I land. With yeah, that, and that, and that's I think that's a that's a, a you know like a, a, an appropriate response to, to. There's nothing more 2020 than uh, an incapacity <laughs> incapacity to deal with assholes at this point. Uh, it's just narcissism isn't isn't I, like I I, I get I, I, this is I think playing into the the, the Trumpianness of it too. I don't care why Trump is the way Trump is. <laughs> I don't give a shit. He's yeah. a narcissist. Cool. I, uh, like. <laughs> Uh, so like, I, I just I, I'm I'm over the oh how why is why is this person the way that they are with this this horrible person that we were so tired of thinking of but let's keep thinking about them and I'm like I'm like oh, oh, oh. but I suppose the difference in 
I hear 100% what you're saying. I don't know that I write Charles Foster Kane off uh, to be just a narcissist. I think that that would be reductive mm. to, the, I, to the movie. What, but what else? Ahead. Like in your in Shut your opinion? The fuck up, man. I know I'm asking this question. <laughs> I want I want I want to dive deep. I want you. I, the simple way is to say more about that. What else do you see Charles Foster Kane as? Well, I think to me, there's a reason we see him taken away from his mother, who he mm. very clearly loved, and his father, who the father, the paternal father figure uh, in this film is interesting because the father clearly loves his son, but also clearly can't communicate that and also clearly beats the shit out of him. Mm. So there's a complicated kind of father figure. So I do think that the film takes the time to present us with the fact that although he grew up maybe in not a particularly, at least at the beginning of the story, prosperous home, he grew up in a, in a home where he was right and, and by 50 percent of at least of his parentage yeah. well i think they both loved him and i but i do think that then the film chooses to jump forward not you know we see him get a birthday present um in that in very striking moment mm. but the movie doesn't show us like let's say age i don't know what do you think 13 15. 25 yeah. give or like take, the bible right? it just jumps up to the interesting part <laughs> but it's so it's like there's a hole there there's like a hole there that we are asked as an audience fill a little bit with like our own thoughts which i think is thoughts yeah which i think is very cinematic like we're asked to, to fill and i think that though i don't agree with your reaction to it i think there's like a lot of space in this movie for us to make decisions about what we think about charles foster kane and and to me at least there's enough meat to the character that i'm sympathetic to him i'm particularly sympathetic to him in the final, as we talked about before, 20. I'm very sympathetic to him in the scene where his second wife bombs during the opera and the camera yeah. is just on him. And he mm -hmm. kind of realizes that he's like backed the wrong part, so to speak. Like it's it's just it's a very humiliating moment in the movie. And like, you know, it's easy to write it off and be like, ah, eh, he's a millionaire, it's fine. But like he's kind of very human in that he like as you pointed out like who doesn't want to be loved we all want to be fucking loved like that's a that's a human condition thing so i think the movie manages to make me care about him through the way that he chooses to relate to people through the fact that he sort of isolates himself in the at the, at the in the final part portion of the movie because he wants to have control over his life like i don't think that these are i think these are pretty universal ways of expressing oneself if mm. if uh a little unorthodox in, in some way i i just see a lot of i'm i'm maybe i'm falling i'm rambling here a little bit but i i do think that he is an asshole but his ass like holiness <laughs> his assholery is is given enough nuance and shading that he like i have no sympathy for trump fuck that guy a million yeah. times to death until he's dead but i think in the case of this like there's a story being presented to me. I'm asked to enter into the world of this character. He's not real, created in a way. And, and so I think the movie sort of asks us to examine kind of someone's life from a holistic perspective with not a, necessarily a ton of information. And, and I ultimately find myself falling on the sympathetic mm. side of it. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And like what we shouldn't ignore here is that the film didn't achieve the, the sort of monolithic stature that it has now uh, immediately, the film was kind of, you know, 
uh, ultimately buried upon its release. It was nominated for several Academy Awards and only won uh, Best Screenplay, where I think uh, Wells may have selfishly taken credit uh, from Mankiewicz, um, which is probably why the movie, you know, Mank is coming out. But also that the film kind of like ultimately got buried for many years because of Hearst's, um, Hearst and uh, Luella Parsons' um, influence mm-hmm. over over how this film was going to be distributed. You know, like at one point, and I, and I think that that to me the interesting thing there is that speaks that you know that phrase, um, um, uh, you really understand power when you realize who it is you can't talk about, and and in this mm-hmm. case. The, the movie seems to have skirted so close to what something, you know, what, what people believe this film was about in terms of being about Hearst that, that you know, it was ultimately effectively silenced for so long. Um, but, but it revealed a kind of truth about that, about that, uh, about that figure. And I think, I think, you know, the original title of the film was American, you know, um, it was called uh, the, uh, either The American or American. Girl. And, you know. Um, Ding. Uh, the American Girl. <laughs> She um, was never mind. Sorry, I'm great song. Great song. Yeah, was with the Tom Petty song. Yeah, it was good. no, I was you know Kanye, uh, Kanye before he, before he got nominated, uh, before he ran for office. Um, <laughs> I can't wait for that movie to drop. Oh my yeah, God. the Kanye movie. American Kanye, American Kanye, girl, girl. American Citizen Kanye. Kanye. Oh, damn it, <laughs> Citizen Kanye. Kanye. How is he not How released we, that album? How have we oh not done God. Citizen I'm gonna, Kanye? Hang on, I'm gonna buy Citizen Liam, Kanye. Email him. Citizenkanye.com. Actually, I. I, I know a guy who Fuck, knows Kanye West. I could give that to him if we want. Um, <laughs> no, no, we well, want that for ourselves. Oh, we yeah. want it for ourselves. How about we that get it the domain? Is, that <laughs> split it with you guys, 90, 10. Yeah. Um, Citizen Kanye exists. I, ah! and, and then, you know, like, and then eventually the odd thing about this movie is that while it became monolithic, Wells himself was never never able to achieve the same kind of uh, artistic freedom that that he that he had in this case, and was in fact you know rejected outright by by most of the Hollywood system. Like every movie he made from that point on became mm-hmm. shredded in some way. Famously, um, if anyone's um, read the Touch of Evil's um, the Touch of Evil letter that he wrote about why you know the cutting structure of that movie and why it should be restored in the way he wanted it, it's like. He really did think deeply about how a movie should work and operate, but never really regained that sense of control. And in a way, Citizen Kane hang, hung over his head yeah. for the rest of his life. Um, and it became this kind of, you know, curse for him. You know, like he, you know, if, if we know and understand Wells, uh, the last, you know, 20, 30 years of his life was spent scrounging around, you know, piecemealing a few films together. Now, I will argue, and I've, I've argued this on the podcast before, is that if the fake his film about art and forgery and um, and himself, you know, ultimately in my mind is the same sort of prismatic um, look at a life um, and and that one mm. that asks complicated questions and gives some answers but allows you the space to answer them some yourself and and it's it's odd that his first and ultimately his last film um, really reflected both this you know, sophisticated capacity to understand what a human being is. His last and, film being the Transformers animated movie? Yeah, those last director. I was going to ask, oh. what did you guys think of his or- Orson Welles' Scott Pilgrim versus yeah, Orson Welles' Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so, I, I, you know, ultimately I land on this thing being, yes, a monolith and one that, you know, like rightly... Um, has been boboed out of existence because of Bobo. you know so many so many good references. Bobo, <laughs> Bobo, I'm Bobo. Charles Montgomery Burns. <laughs> well, it's really amazing how many people are gonna know 
watch Citizen Kane having seen that episode of The Simpsons and be like, oh shit. Like, yeah. there's so many images in this movie that you've seen in The Simpsons. It's such a like, or whatever other thing. Sorry, I just... No, is that, is that telling about The Simpsons or, or Citizen Kane? I'm... Oh, a little bit of both. Yeah. Sim- right. Simpsons Kane? Si- Girl. 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 Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God. I will say this, though. We wouldn't say this, but, like, talking about this as a monolith, I fucking hate, like, top ten lists for this very reason. Because right. Because if something's at the top or wherever it might be within a top ten list, you have to revere it, or at the very least, it is given a certain kind of weight or power or monolithic status that otherwise it would not have. Like, it would be so much better if we made these lists and just, like, alphabetize them or something. Like, mm-hmm. it's so stupid to be like... This film is definitely number one. Like, what's number four? Raging Bull. Okay. Like, and having little so... up and down arrows and shit. Like, it's yeah, changing. Like, like it's who's so... moving these placards? I mean, it's I understand the, it's why the... it's done, but it's yeah, it's the sports so uh, sports uh, yeah. approach to to moving. But I, I guess that's really an important question. Is like, this, despite we all hate these lists, but we all came to this film because of a list at some point. Why do you think this film endures? Why does it? Why does it consistently come back to this? Is it a lack of imagination on critics' part to think of other films, or is there something about this that manages to endure? Well, there's only been like seven or eight films made since. Yeah, it's not yeah. like we have a, like a lot to choose from. <laughs> That's true. There's that. There's there's Scott Pilgrim, of course. There's we've Scott talked Pilgrim. about. Pilgrim. There's the Transformers uh, movie. The Transformers, Transformers movie. Uh, Honey, the game. The kids. Gone, Gone Girl. The, the David Gone Fincher girl. Oeuvre. Yeah. Snatch. Girl. Um, Fight Club. Yeah. Fight Girl. Club. Yeah. Howl's Moving Castle. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, Howl's Moving Castle should be on there. Yeah. Uh, it's just because of the, 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 the status that one. any sort of like canonical work of art has. Yeah. That once it's kind of deemed as being important or essential, it's almost impossible to kind of displace it. So this is like the Shakespeare <laughs> films. Well, this is a right. really, Shakespeare is an interesting parallel to this movie in terms of like the idea of the mod, the important, complicated asshole yet sympathetic well because maybe it wasn't just written by one person oh Oh, stop it damn the fuck (laughs) well also 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 with wells is obviously association with theater too very good though man yeah very good (laughs) oh thank you um i i think this you know it's interesting to think because we've been watching so much Inter- pornography. international <laughs> pornography um because we've been watching so much uh so much pornography um just reams and reams of it because we've been what is the so porn much... title for citizen kane just reams just citizen come what are you C- talking uh, about C- citizen God Com. Damn it. everybody knows <laughs> everybody knows <laughs> everyone knows <laughs> it's number nine on imdb's top 10 top 250 <laughs> citizen come um because we've been watching so much foreign Cinema, like what? I mean, obviously, all Akira Kurosawa. I was thinking a little bit about like why something like Seven Samurai or Rashomon is something that we keep watching. And I think that Citizen Kane, particularly, I'd like to know. It's. I mean, I'm sure its reputation in places like France is is really, really, really important. But I wonder, you know, overall in the rest of the world, if it's remembered because I think it's such a uniquely American piece of art. That's not to say it doesn't speak to other places, but just the the character that it presents, the way it presents him, the, the way the cinema is used. Because this isn't like, I don't watch this movie and think like, wow, uh, Orson Welles was super into the Russian or like the Soviet dialectic filmmaking. I think he's just on like a different kind of American style meets theater meets all of these different sort of techniques that feel very uh, indelible to the American kind of cinema. So I, 
I think it's important because it, it stressed so many techniques that would become so important in filmmaking, but it also feels very, very uniquely American in its approach to telling the story. Maybe yeah. that's really general, but that's my feeling. I think, George, you kind of touched on the idea that the that the story of Charles Foster Kane really speaks to the story of America in the 20th and 21st century, the 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 sort of explosion of capitalism and, and what it meant to, like, the individual soul, which is ostensibly also the story of There Will Be Blood, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. why that story kind of uh, seems to, it seems to, like, there's something about, I, I think, Liam, what you're talking about, which makes the story feel mythic rather than individual right like it, it mm -hmm. feels like a like a um like a grand greek mythology or something you know like it, it feels like it, it has this sort of um a capacity to to transcend time uh as much as it mm -hmm. you know like pauline kale said as, as fresh as it was in 1941 and this story still feels fresh in in 2020 did i mean george in you know you're of of all of us, you are the person that deals with mythologies the most. And I was actually going to ask you a specific question about Kublai Khan, um, and its usage oh, yeah. in this in this film. But I, you know that might be neither here nor there. No, George, answer and it, Zanadu please. Did I Kublai insist. Khan decree. Yeah, slightly pleasure clone decree. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we get clone. it. You read. I occasionally read <laughs> Kublai Khan um, girl. I'm just saying, Kublai Khan girl. <laughs> Kublai Khan girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think I, mean, I think thinking about it as a kind of like archetypal story or an archetypal American story is. It definitely fits. It's interesting. And again, like to think about like if, if there will be blood is like the story of the capitalist who works obviously within the oil industry, then as Liam kind of pointed out, right? Like the way in which this film is also very much a critique of our obsession with media mm. and the way in which media obviously kind of like can control us. I mean, that's the other thing also we didn't talk about, right? Where like even when he's young and he's saying all these platitudes about helping poor people, he's also like in the very same breath saying like, oh yeah, bring me those pictures and I'll fucking create a war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like you know to help the people yeah, yeah to help exactly like to help the people so it's like that like nefarious part of him is like already right there like yeah. when people. he's like a 24 25 year old <laughs> sorry citizen to bring you back to your bad is it citizen bane citizen bane baby rosebum girl bobo oh wow my bobo <laughs> No, so I, but um, I mean, just to kind of, it would be a Greek tragedy, by the way. I mean, if you're gonna also kind of compare it to something, yeah, in I terms think it's of more like, of a Shakespearean history, bro. <laughs> Ooh, well, because Shahir fucking asked me about the Greeks. Yeah, Sorry, I did, and it's just because you, you know, <laughs> well, I can be smart too, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, let's I... not fight in front of our friends. <laughs> Sorry, we already did. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're kind of wrapping up on this on this particular thing, uh, film. But I, I guess does um, what we think Mank will be about is really about the limits of of internal authorship to the film. Probably not necessarily about the questions that we're probing, which is like how mythic is why does this why does Citizen Kane endure? I'm not I'm not exactly sure from what I can get, gather that Mank will be necessarily about. I think Mank is really going to be about a uh, a restitution of Herman Mankiewicz's contribution to this film. Right, and, um, and out of the four of us, I think, Shahir, you're the only one that hasn't watched the trailer? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I haven't seen the trailer either. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I although, as soon as we're done recording this. Yeah. But if you, I mean, again, if you read, uh, if you read uh, Raising Cain, that's, Raising Cain really talks about um, re, right. uh, re-evaluating how important Herman Mankiewicz was, not just to the actual just writing of the screenplay, but what the film was intended to be about and and its deeper meanings and themes and and obviously that's 
that's um, no greater exemplified by the fact that Mankiewicz was good friends with Hearst uh, and Marion Davies, so he knew these stories firsthand. Sure. Um, whereas, you know, Wells kind of took credit for sort of identifying that um, um, that sort of that grander story of, of, of Hertz. It, you know, Mankiewicz was the person who really knew and understood those people. Um, it's 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 a fascinating film, and I think one that endures because of the kind of conversation that we've been having, which is that it it is whether you like her um Hurst, whether you like Kane or <laughs> Nobody not. Nobody likes him. Yeah. <laughs> whether you like Kane or not, I think the film has that sort of unique structure and thematic through lines which pull in many different directions and and are undeniably uh, expertly woven together, you know. Like I, I can't think of uh, mm-hmm. a first film as well considered in almost every moment as Citizen Kane. I mean, there's a reason why mm-hmm. we sort of talk about Wells in that way, you know. Like you know, and why every filmmaker aspires to make Citizen Kane or uh, a film as everlasting as Citizen Kane as their first movie. There's uh, also the shorthandedness of it, though. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. everything you've said is true, mm-hmm. but like it has become. A, a phrase mm. at this point more than than like and that's not the movie's fault no but not but to, the movie but, but to the point like again i this is a movie i saw at 20 at 20 years old and had kind of been uh already inundated with the shorthand of citizen kane but one that i felt lived up to that shorthand you know Fair like enough. that that's the that's the thing that i think has been uh for me personally um something that i've i've always been dazzled by i, I have always you know like um, watched it and and kind of just remarked and just been you know had my breath taken away by how expertly it is well how expertly considered mm-hmm. this entire movie is. I don't know if that's the final takeaways that any of you would have from the film. I, I'm curious about that, Liam. What do you what do you sort of take away as your final moments? Oh, as your final thoughts of this film? Your final well, moments. You're I'll about to die. <laughs> After we record this, wow. there's a lot of high, high stakes in this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's. You know, earlier when I said I was bored, mm. I think in some ways that is not a critic. That's not an, a criticism of the movie. I mm. think, especially also, I'll, I'll say this. I think I'm not going to do this tonight. But I think the fact that we've just spent almost, you know, an hour and forty minutes talking about it, I kind of want to watch it again, like immediately. Right. Which I think is a great compliment to the movie. And in the way that I'm, I think I'm bored is that you know I've seen the movie a bunch of times, but also it is. It's so interesting to watch a movie that's just so indelibly printed on like move everything that came after it. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I'm looking at IMDb's top 250 right now because I was curious where it sat on that list. And like number number 11 is Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Number 17 is Goodfellas. Like you can yeah. watch Goodfellas and see Citizen Kane. And yeah. Goodfellas. Like there's that that the sort of I think there's a huge argument for like the ambivalence with which someone like Martin Scorsese treats his main characters in a lot of his films is present in the way that Orson Welles portrays uh, Charles Foster Kane. Like it's just, it's such an important movie. And I think it's, it's so important that it's almost reached the point where it's like, yeah, I get it. It's really yeah. important. And I think it's, it's, it's sort of to Matt's point, I think a little bit, I think it's like kind of a, a great movie to revisit once a decade at, at the, at the least to sort of go like, Oh yeah, this movie has like imprinted itself and is important. And, and also I think is like a, you know, Shahir, as you pointed out, a really important movie to show to someone 
like a young cinephile as they're burgeoning into it, like 12, 13, 15, 16 years old, because you can sort of see this movie and have your mind blown. And I, and I think that it's, for me, it's, it's important to revisit it to remind myself like, Oh yeah, this is why I like love would love getting on a microphone and talking about this movie with my buds for a couple hours because my bros for a couple (laughs) hours, because like, we're all, we're all sort of inundated with this stuff all the time, but like, this movie fucking slaps like i don't know what else to say it's it's an incredibly important uh achievement in filmmaking and and i love it even though i don't feel like i want to watch it all yeah although just immediately right now i, I mean I watched it right now. After this, yes. i'm actually gonna go watch spotlight right now after we oh, come Drew, and fuck liam. You. oh liam you and i you and i need to live closer together and we really not be do. in covid <laughs> uh george what about you final final thoughts on on citizen con girl <laughs> yeah it, uh it's a banger watch it if you haven't seen it i mean again like what's there to say it's it holds up i I was riveted i was not at all bored i'm really glad I, I went back and i saw it because again i've only seen it like two or three times before and again i think kind of as i've already said and we've already kind of gone over what it has to say about kind of our obsession with um, not only just media, but with kind of like powerful men in our society is it's there, it's prescient, it's, it's still applicable today. And yeah, it's a, it's an important film and I think it definitely holds up. It's a banger. Um, yeah, it's a banger. It ba- <laughs> it's a banger. It slaps. I will say as my closing thoughts, uh, <laughs> and everyone can, can jump on, can, <laughs> can jump on me at the end of this. I think the the analogy I would use for Citizen Kane is it is the cinematic equivalent to your annual health checkup. Oof. Sharpen the knives, boys. <laughs> Straight up, but this is this is the truth at least for me. I don't I'm I'm not looking forward to it. I don't really enjoy my time there, but I'm really happy that I went. It feels like you got a colonoscopy more than a health like checkup. A dental cleaning. <laughs> hey, well, Shahir, when we hit a certain age, so don't don't worry about that. It's coming for <laughs> you too. It's very serious. But um, but yeah, I mean, so in my opinion, this movie is a banger and slaps the way going to your general practitioner both bangs and slaps. Um, yeah, but again, I know I'm in the minority, and that's totally fine. I'm I'm I am always happy to talk about movies with my film bros. Or or Aww. anybody that that is like that enjoys the thing we're talking about because that's 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 the important part. And again, not to say I don't enjoy the film craft side of this. I see the importance, etc. But but it uh, ain't no Scott Pilgrim. To be honest, no. <laughs> ain't no spotlight. Um, but that's not. <laughs> ain't no Zodiac. Oh! Ain't no spotlight. Anyway, everybody, this has been the only podcast about the film Citizen Kane. Uh, George Liam, thank you so much. For, Thanks, guys. For, Thank for you, guys. Blessing us with your with your presence. Uh, takes, with our takes. With your hot <laughs> the girl takes. takes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hotgirltakes.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that where is that where people can hear uh, Oeuvre Busters at hotgirltakes.com? Uh, now it is. Hang oh, on, let good. me just go by George. Go by hotgirltakes.com. <laughs> Look up no, Citizen Kanye. By the way. Citizen <laughs> Kanye's taking. What about Citizen Yay? Citizen Yay mm, is yeah. better. Okay, hang on. Sorry, I know that we're doing a podcast here, but let me. Just... No, I really <laughs> think this is important. Uh, no, uh, while while he's looking that up, George, where can folks find all all your things? Uh, so overbrothers.com, uh, of course. You could also obviously download the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes. We also have a Patreon. Nice. Nice. 
crypto uh we appreciate obviously all the patreon love that we've been getting that's what we've been getting a lot of patreon love but the patreon love <laughs> we have been getting we appreciate yeah that um, it's good more sales important. pitch you fucking jeez no no, <laughs> no, no it's more important we're in the middle of our akira kurosawa tashiro mafuni season and liam announced via what? twitter that next season will be on the one and only warren Beatty. wow oh yes yeah. we do yeah so Really yeah. kind of interested in eventually getting to those films after we're done after we're done with the Kurosawa Mafuni films, which I think will be done in twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty four at this point. That feels yeah. that feels correct. Feels about right. Um so this episode comes out Sunday, correct? Yes. Okay, so uh next week our, our Thanksgiving gift to everyone is we're doing an episode on Throne of Blood. Oh nice. With um us Isaac Butler, who is a does host a podcast called Working for Slate. He just did a interview with phil alden robinson the director of sneakers among mm-hmm. many others yeah, cool and um is a bit of a shakespeare shakespeare we posted a podcast for slate about shakespeare and politics so we thought he would be a great fit have you have dope. you watched uh orson welles's Macbeth? yes i that's actually i saw that movie before i saw citizen kane my dad yeah. weirdly bought a copy of it and i saw it when i was like eight which was not appropriate did he think it was <laughs> a james like bond movie or yeah. what was the no just because you're doing throne of blood and you know yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It's a good, it's a good question, Matt. I should. Well, I can't ask him, but I should, I should, I should. Uh, I. Sh- it, it's an interesting. I don't know. I wonder why he bought it. I think he bought a lot of crap. But that's a pretty good also, movie. I think we were all of the age where, uh, back in those days, where your parents would show you movies that were oddly inappropriate for you. Like yeah. my dad gleefully sat me down to watch Psycho Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> when that's I was a kid, oh my God. Um, and I without showing you the first one, without showing me the first one, he was like, "That's a black and white." You're not. He was like, "I think it. there's an original. I don't know anything about it, but this <laughs> one slap." Yeah. Norman Bates comes back and he kills someone with a spade in this one, and I was like, "Cool." <laughs> I really didn't like us Van Sant's like shot for shot making of that one as well. Too. I really want to rewatch like his his shot for shot remake because it's like it's it's such an interesting example of like um it's like uh. When two artists have the exact same script, but one does the the exact wrong thing by doing by copying the first one, it's it's just this, like this weird mirroring technique that's really like you can see someone's got the exact right intentions, but it just goes. Completely... It's an incredible experiment, but it's also you know, kind it's... of like frustrating to think like, oh, you just dropped like fifty million dollars. But to I, make think that he, film. I think I think he tight, was tight, doing tight. it. I think he was doing it gleefully, knowing that it was a dumb idea. Like that's that's, that's the sort of part, you know. Like you know that he almost changed the title of it. What did you, you know this? What was, it was it, originally? What he originally to? wanted Psycho to Girl? call it. Yeah, he wanted to say, "Fuck you!" Took my fucking jokes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was so good. Just on good. I honestly thought there was an the original podcast. title. And the podcast. podcast. Wow. 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 wow! Psycho Girl. Well, podcast I was, divorced I was, so many I was times. like, I was like Ridiculous. shaking with glee at the, <laughs> the fact that that was going to be. Can we get it out? It's going to be Psycho Girl. It's going to kill. Uh, I was hoping well, you'd go with Goodwill Psycho though, or something like that. I, that was my first thought, and then I went, "Wait, I got to keep it." Shahir, when you are not witnessing just podcast co-host murder, <laughs> where can folks find you? You can come see me committing murder at my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are decreeing that the monoliths of the old must be torn down to replace with new and more beautiful films like Scott Pilgrim, where can people find you? You can find me yeah. listening to Sex Babam and kicking mm-hmm. Citizens Kane's teeth in at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram and PSN, or of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over on Extra Credits. I believe we'll be knee-deep 
actually, gentlemen, um, uh, of Uvra Buster fame, uh, we're doing a series called The End of the Samurai on our Extra History oh. series. Ooh. And it's Ooh. all about, uh, you know, the Tokugawa shogunate and 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 the way that the how 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 the the samurai as a class and the class system sort of changed out to be more in line with uh, the uh, then industrialized world. Uh, and it's fascinating and terrifying and wonderful. So if you haven't been so uh, interesting with, with all of your with all of your film work that you've been doing uh, right now, uh, if you're not too sick of that time period, uh, please check that out. No, I want to check that out. That sounds yeah. great. Uh, the first episode is out. By the time this comes out, ep two will be out. There'll be two, and there's going to be five. Um, and with that, she here. So next week is is uh, is Mank. No, it's not actually because of release schedules. I think we're going to. Oh we're no, gonna, we're going to have a an interim week before we get back into Mank. We're going to take a little break from Charles Foster Kane, Orson Welles, and the world of 1941. And I have no idea what we'll watch in that period, but there'll be I want to do the most tonally different thing between <laughs> this, Citizen Kane, whatever the next one is, and then Mank. I uh, say we girls. do Gone Girl. I'm really, I'm, I'm, girl. I'm in for Gone Girl. Gone Girl, girl? Sallow, or, 120 yeah, Sallow, 120 Sallow, 120 Sodom Girl. Yeah, yeah. I mean. So, we got, George, we got to talk about that movie, because it's a movie that I've only seen once, but I own the Criterion Blu-ray of, and I'm afraid to watch it. Like, you know, it, it, it's not as gruesome. I mean, I think the hype is. I've seen it. I I have yeah. seen it, but I I just, I, and I've thought about it a lot. Uh, but I'm afraid Sick to fuck. It. <laughs> <laughs> we should just. This is also our our opportunity, actually, to uh, say to you guys that Shahir and I are just doing a Sallow podcast. It's just. <laughs> Three hour long episodes, Sallow, once a week. We just like go through it and It's probably a good time for Matt and I to tell you that we started a podcast called uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the Pod, and it's a podcast <laughs> or three hours, and we just talk about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think I lost Matt. He's staring off in space. Yeah, yeah. He, he we'll wrap this up. We'll catch you next week where we will find a new movie to talk about. Uh, until then, stay safe and uh, uh, get excited for Mank or not. I don't know. Get excited for something. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.